Good morning. It's good to be with you all. I'll be reading from Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be confirmed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God, Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for gathering us here to, today. We ask the Lord to be with Aaron as he brings us a message, and us sitting out there will have open ears and hearts to hear what he has to say. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Alphas can be dismissed. We have a long passage this morning, so we are going to jump right into Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse or 1. Uh, Nehemiah 8 and 9 is where we'll be this morning. If you want to turn there in one of the Bibles in front of you, or if you brought your own. And if you don't have your own, feel free to take one of those in the holders. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on the right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbanah, Zechariah, and Meshullam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book of the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the God, great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, as they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they had heard the works of the Lord. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the, Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Then all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send their portions and to make great rejoicing, because they understood the words that were declared to them. We'll stop right there. Would you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, as Phil read from Romans 12, God, it renews and transforms our mind. It transforms our hearts. And so would you do that this morning in our time together in your word with your people? We ask that you would do this for your glory and our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've all heard the saying, right? Maybe as you were getting married or you've seen a marriage that opposites attract. One person knows how to load a dishwasher. The other person knows the other will come and fix it. One person loves a large group of people and some would rather just have a nice quiet spot, maybe with a book. One person loves the outdoors. The other maybe likes to go to the spa. One person has zero emails in their inbox, and the other person has 1,900 unread messages. We'll let you guess which one is in our house. Isn't it funny how these types of people are attracted to one another? I think every marriage has some little quirks that each spouse has that are very different from the other. Well, as we find ourselves in the text this morning in Nehemiah chapter 8, after the city was repopulated, as we saw last week, God had transformed their greed to generosity and their guilt to good deeds, they have a church service. But this morning, we won't see that opposites attract. We'll see that man is not lovely in God's eyes. God isn't attracted to us because we are lovable, that we are good. We have a good inheritance or maybe a nice personality. God is attracted to us, attracted to us while we were not attracted to Him because He Himself is love. Apart from Christ, we are not drawn to the things of God. With God, opposites don't attract. Apart from Christ, man hates God. But God is rich in mercy. And so our three points this morning is we will respond to God in worship, obedience, and love because He's attracted to us. God's Word is the priority at this worship service. It should be always in our worship services. They proclaim and they exclaim, Ezra, bring the book. And so they gather as one man. They're committed together and each other, and they are committed to their gracious God. Augustine says the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. Friends, this is not our home. I probably don't need to remind you of that. But Scripture tells us about how much God loves His people. Not because of what we've done. Not because of who we are. But because God is love. Scripture is God's love letter to us. Maybe you think about a 40-minute sermon or is kind of long. Or being together with God's people for an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Or sticking after for a meal together is a long time. But these folks in the text were there for six or seven hours. And Ezra and the leaders before them, they applied God's word. They expounded upon the scripture and applied it to the people's lives, giving explanation. They begged Ezra to preach. In verse 5, we see that God's word is over the preacher and the preacher is over God's people from a location standpoint. But God's word drives everything. And it means that the pastor isn't overbearing. Although hard to understand at times, pastors are called to go into scripture, 
to ask God's people to give significant sacrifice. And we're included in that. And so we aren't called to lord it over the people. Hey, you guys need to go do this. No, it's we need to go do this. J.T. Ryle says, The saddest road to hell is the one that runs under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the middle of warnings and invitations. Pastors who don't preach truth are not loving to the people before them. We say, don't go down this path, friends. Let's go this way instead. God loves you. Listen to the words in your Bibles. And so they listened, and they doubled their amen. We see in verse 6, agreeing with the preacher. Back in the day when Kristen and I were dating, we would write notes with a pen and paper, and I still don't understand how she could read my writing, but we didn't have social media to send messages or phones that could send text messages. It used to cost, what, like 10 cents every text message you would send? So we would talk on the phone. Well, when we moved here from California, we found some old letters. So we opened the box and we read a few of them and we laughed at the funny things that we said. But it also reminded us as we reminisced of God's work in each of us, as we actually desired to spend time together and to encourage one another and to share our affection for each other. And that's what God's word does to us as his people. It reminds us how much God loves us. And we see that scripture is clear and scripture is knowable. Ezra and his team, he was equipping the saints for the work of ministry. There was a group of priests that he enabled to help to apply God's word. To break it down, verse 8 says, for the people to understand. The text says that they, these people, gave insight and understanding. They, got, they made God's word applicable to those who were hearing. The people hearing probably spoke Aramaic, and the text is in Hebrew, and similar today. I'm speaking in English, and the text is still originally in Hebrew. And so we're using language that we understand in our context today to apply this to our lives. That's what they were probably doing that day. I try to do that here every day on Sunday. I try to show you in Scripture how gracious God is, how awesome He is, to maybe contextualize it to New England, how wicked awesome He is. <laughs> Ezra was keeping his commitment from chapter 7 to know God's Word, to obey God's Word, and to teach God's Word to His people. And the result of this is worship, our first point. God's Word provides all that you need for life and godliness. You don't need a special degree or technique to understand it, but a, someone who is trained to understand it is very helpful to apply it. Yet the Bible is easy enough for a small child to understand and to believe. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. But it is so complex that a scholar could spend decades just scratching the surface. Ezra twice proclaims the character of God and how that changes our posture to him. In verse 9, he says, God is holy, so don't mourn. In verse 10, he says, God is holy, so don't grieve. When Kristen married me, as she was coming down the aisle, I was not hoping, like, I hope she doesn't mourn in the next hour after she says, I do. So what's happening here? Why, is, why are the people grieving and mourning? Oh, I think Ezra's reminder after this is important. He says, it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. 
our protection against the judgments of God as revealed in the Bible against sinners is what is our strength. Their sin is not causing them to run to God. Their sin is causing them to mourn and to grieve, knowing who God is and how holy He is. Their only response is grieving and mourning over their sin. They cower before God in fear. When we are weak, He is strong. When we can't save ourselves, He can. When we are unholy, He is holy. In Scripture, we see that God has wrath towards sin, and He has wrath towards sinners. Opposites don't attract. God saves us in spite of who we are because we wanted nothing to do with Him. God saves us because of who He is. He is a gracious and merciful God who does love His people. So don't grieve. God loves you. Don't mourn. God loves you. God's holiness realized and God's mercy received through His Son should lead us to joy, not mourning or grieving. And so that joy turns into worship. The Lord's one-directional strength, His one-directional love, leads us to joyful worship. The Westminster Catechism says man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Where God is the highest object of worship, and so it's right for us to give Him the worship that He is due. And when He receives that worship, He is glorified. John Piper or de defines God's glory as His holiness revealed, His holiness manifested, His holiness put on display. And since it's perfectly right and good, worshiping God naturally leads us to joy. It's our highest and everlasting call to worship God. When we experience His love, we respond to Him in worship. And so verse 12 says, they had great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. Paul says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He takes our weakness and he turns it to strength. And so desiring the word of God and realizing the grace of God, it leads to lifting up praise for the glory of God. And when we left this service, they didn't talk about how long the service was or how good the music was or complain that they didn't get what they wanted out of the service. They left rejoicing because they had personally met God who had been gracious to them. Jonathan Edwards says, God is glorified not only by His glory being seen, but by it being rejoiced in. God's people always respond to Him in joyful worship. They also respond in joyful obedience. Let's pick it back up in verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it in it written, sorry, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go to the hills and give branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. 
So the people went out and brought them and made booths to, for themselves, each on his own roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the houses of, of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths for the days of Jeshua the son of Nun, so that the people of Israel had not done so. And there was great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was solemn assembly according to the rule. So we first have joyful worship, and now we have joyful obedience. As they see, there was great rejoicing. And so they gather again. They came to study. They realized they hadn't obeyed. They realized that they didn't listen and follow the law. And so they shouted out and published what they saw in God's word for all to see in verse 15. Maybe the world would think that that'd be obnoxious for a bunch of believers to shout it out or proclaim it what they believe. Shouting out in maybe the South Royalton Green or you go to the co-op and you post that we're going to have an Easter service on one of their bulletin boards. But these people, they didn't care. God loves us. We want to obey him. We want to tell other people about him. They didn't care if the people thought that they were being ridiculous. Remember the movie Elf? Hopefully most of you have seen that. Where Buddy the Elf, right? When he sees this Santa guy in the mall, he doesn't care who is around him. Santa! He had to go and he had to shout who it is. Or when he met his real father, he starts singing a song. I love you, I love you, I love you, and doesn't care who is around him. And when we see God in Scripture, friends, when we receive His grace through His Son, when we believe and are forgiven, joyful obedience is just natural as joyful worship. Don't be scared to proclaim, this is who my God is, and this is what He has done for me. It's loving to share with others who have never received God's love letters. Easter's coming. It's a great time to talk about the death of Christ. It's a great time to talk about the burial of Christ, the perfect life of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the salvation that comes only through Jesus. We don't want people to perish. And the Bible says believing in Jesus is the only way that they wouldn't. And so it's not loving to keep that truth and to not share that love letter of God to them. And joyful obedience is so much better than obedience that flows from duty. Obeying God is not drudgery. At the altar, well, I do. But I just wrote you those love letters because I was required to. I don't think that would go very well. There's a mutual affection, right, that a husband and wife, when they say I do, comes to the altar together. But obedience doesn't earn us anything. Christ has already earned salvation for us. Obedience is a response or a reply to the grace that Christ has already given to us. It leads to grace-driven effort, and it leads to joy. And so I'm the mailman. I get to say, here's God's love letter to you. Just joining here on Sunday or Wednesday excite you? When you hear Bible reading, does opening the scripture frequently give you joy? 
when you hear someone ask for prayer, is it a delight to immediately respond in prayer for that person? Experiencing God leads to joyful worship, friends, and it also leads to joyful obedience. We can't have one without the other. And so if you aren't attracted to the things of God, or even God himself, what may that say about you? In God's eyes, it's not lovely. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Love of God and obeying his commands is not a burden. It's a joy. J.C. Ryle says, True holiness does not consist merely of believing and feeling, but of doing and bearing and a practical exposition of grace. The Jews in the text dropped everything to worship for a week because God commanded them to do it. And they did it joyfully. So God's love pushes us to joyful worship. God's love pushes us to joyful obedience. But it also leads to joyful love. We'll look at chapter 9. That first paragraph will set the stage for us. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners, and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshiped to the Lord their God on the stairs of the... Levites stood, Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebani, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shenani. And they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethaniah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And so in contrition and fasting, they approach God in sorrow, knowing their sin. And their service turns into a time of prayer and confession. And as God speaks to us in his word, he speaks, we speak back to him in our prayers. The love now goes both ways. And we're going to walk through this prayer that the people of God say. Listen to the loveliness of God. Listen to their heart of worship and love back to him. Listen to what they did and what God does in response. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the Lord of hosts of heaven worships you. Sorry, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous." Robert Murray McShane says, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. You did this. You did that. God, God, God. You see the point here of what God did for the people? You are gracious. You are merciful. It continues. 
And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, and all his servants, and all the people of his land. For you knew that they had acted arrogantly against your, our fathers, and you made a name for yourself, as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by pillar of fire in the night, to light for them a way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven, and gave their right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them commandments and statutes, and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought water to, for them out of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. You, 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 you. When we realize this, God is God and we are not. And that's what they are praying. You are God and you are so gracious to us. Whereas God's revealed character, his abiding reputation is tied to his name. God didn't do this so that Israel would have a name. God did all of this so that God would have a name. The mighty creator, the gracious promise keeper is the merciful savior. God is the initiator. He is the perfecter. He is the finisher of all the great work of mercy that his people experience. The love initially, it comes from one direction, but the prayer continues. Verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return them to slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God. God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by the night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouths and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing, their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. They recount their sin. We started the book of Numbers this Friday in our Bible reading plan, and it recounts these 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness because they disobeyed God. They sinned, but they respond with you, God, ready to forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, did not forsake your people. They didn't love and worship and obey God. Israel idolized themselves. He didn't withhold the manna that they needed. He sustained his people. In spite of who we are, verse 17 says, he was merciful. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Where sheep wander, sheep disobey, but God is still a good shepherd and leads them and those are the same words in verse 21, where he says, He sustained a people. 
the prayer continues. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Shehan, king of Heshbon, and land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of the heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into your hand with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possession of the houses full of all good, good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who had made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who would save them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest and did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them, yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give an ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God." They blasphemed their God. They were irreverent. They didn't worship. They didn't obey. But verse 70, 27, God sent them saviors. The Hebrew word, yasha. Salvation from enemies. Similar to the root word of Joshua. Similar to the root word of a judge, if you're familiar with the book of Judges. Similar to the root word for the Greek name, Jesus. All of this is pointing to our true Savior who delivers us from our greatest enemy. And as an enemy, God saved them. The love continued to be one directional. They didn't worship, they didn't obey, but God continues to be merciful. Look how it ends. Now therefore, our God, the great and mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's part of Nehemiah's prayer from chapter 1. Let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since you have, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. 
kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yields goes to the kings who you have set over us before because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. We see God's covenant with his people in verse 32. And his people make a covenant with each other and with their leaders in verse 38. The slaves are now free. The lost are now found. They are now children of God. And the prayer recounts God's covenant or his vows to his people. And God continued to pursue them. He continued to have mercy on them, not giving them what they deserve. He was gracious to them and giving them what they didn't deserve. In salvation, he had mercy on them in spite of their rebellion and in spite of their sin. Basically, God's saying, till death do we part and God never dies. I didn't plan on this, but it's a perfect coincidence. Today, for our family gathering, we talk about our covenant with each other. We talk about our covenant with our leaders. But most importantly, we talk about our covenant with God. Their response was a vow or a covenant in return to God's covenant with them. And so they commit to love God in return. And so, as God covenants with us, we respond in worship, we respond in obedience, we respond in love. As we reaffirm our covenant with each other, we gather to worship, we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, we obey God's word together, we love one another and help one another, we partner together in what God is doing in and through this church. And third, we model what they did and they covenant with their leaders, mutually submitted to scripture together, obeying together, taking responsibility together. We don't go on to an altar on our wedding day not knowing that the love is reciprocated. In a marriage, we covenant till death do us part. And the people of God, they finally get it. Initiated by God and His love towards them, they respond in love back. They make a covenant. Do you take this God to be your only God? And they say, I do. And they worship with joy, they obey with joy, and they love in return with joy. And so what this chapter shows us, friends, is that we cannot outsin the love of God. Like we sang, grace greater than all our sin. We are His. We are sealed. He sends us, like the Jews, a Savior, 
Jesus Christ, who died in our place on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and after three days, He rose from the dead to give us a newness of life. We are God's people who believe in Jesus. We are Christ's bride for whom He died. Charles Spurgeon said, God will not spare the sinner because He did not spare His Son. He sent us a Savior. And I think as I've been going through and studying for Ezra and Nehemiah, I've realized Ezra and Nehemiah aren't about building a temple. It's not about constructing a wall. It's not about leading us as we cash some vision for the days ahead. Ezra and Nehemiah are about worship. Worshiping a gracious, loving Heavenly Father. And so let's worship Him together. Let's obey Him together and let's love Him together. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up. Dale had to leave to go to a concert that she's playing in. And so Cami's going to lead us a cappella with some songs that are very familiar with us. And because God is so gracious and merciful and loving to us, let's sing loud. You all know these songs. The words will be on the screen. And let's worship our God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your abundant mercy and grace. God, we thank you that as we wander and stumble and uh, continue to do as the Jews did over and over again, um, disregard you, disobey you, reject you, worship idols, God, that you still pursue us. God, we thank you that when we don't keep our end of covenants, you always will, because they rest in your name, they rest in your character, they rest in who you are. And so, God, we want to lift up our voice in joyful worship. God, we ask that you would help us to obey you in joyful obedience. And God, would you help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because you are the only pure object and true object of the worship that you deserve. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.